Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. Well, uh, good morning from me to those of you here in the building with me and to those of you watching online. It's really great to be together to worship today, this Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church, as Caroline has already said. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Brilliant. Um, And this marks the end of uh, the Easter season, Pentecost marks the birthday of the church, and we transition now into what is sometimes called ordinary time. And uh, in a way, today is a sort of hinge, and we think a little bit together about what the new normal might look like, what ordinary time might look like for us. And uh, so what we're doing today is we're going to hold our annual church meeting in the context of our morning service and we're going to sort of try and hold together a bit of thinking about vision and pray and celebrating what God has been doing and praying for the coming years at the same time as doing a little bit of business together making some decisions and uh, the way it's going to work is roughly like this I'm going to spend the next seven or eight minutes talking a bit about vision uh, vision uh, for our church vision for this season Um, And then we're going to move on to some action where we're going to appoint some new church wardens. We're going to look at minutes of the last meeting from last year. And uh, if you haven't already, then there is a a blog post on our website with the agenda and the minutes of last year and also the report and the accounts from last year. We're not printing all of these anymore uh, for obvious reasons at the moment, but you can access them there and uh, there are links in the chat already. So do feel free to navigate to that a little bit. But I want to begin by thinking about what it is God has called us to be and to do in Hoxton now and in the years ahead. And one mentor of mine used to describe to me the idea that we have sort of four phases or styles, four four aspects to our vision, a vision of our purpose together. We have what he called gospel vision, big vision, local vision, and seasonal vision. Gospel vision, big vision, local vision, and seasonal vision. The gospel vision is the same for all Christians in all times, in all places. I think it's expressed brilliantly by this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the big gospel vision for life as a Christian, that we are ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. God wants to reconcile all things on heaven and earth to himself in Jesus Christ. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the saving love and work of Jesus Christ. And he wants people to experience the fullness of his kingdom, which is brought into this world by Jesus Christ. And we are his chosen vessel, agents, ambassadors, custodians of this ministry of reconciliation. It's the most exciting work you can ever do in your life. And it's God's purpose for all Christians in all times, in all places. That gospel vision would have been true for a 6th century Coptic Orthodox Ethiopian, as well as a 21st century Brazilian Pentecostal or a 16th century German Lutheran, and it's true for us here in Hoxton now. 
And it's also a vision which is expressed in the new Diocese of London 2030 vision strategy, whose strapline is simply this, for every Londoner to encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ. For every Londoner to encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ. So that, if you like, is the gospel vision for all Christians in all times, in all places. But there's a big vision, which is about our place within the Church of England. I put this image up, and some of you have seen it before, because the truth is that things look pretty desperate for the Church of England. The annual statistics for mission and analysis that is published by the Church of England shows continued decline. Just 2% of the population of our country now attend worship in Church of England churches regularly. Now, of course, that's not the end of the world because there are other churches and we work in fellowship this day above all days on, the, on Pentecost with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Methodist Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Free Churches. Of course we do. But the Church of England has a special vocation in this nation. We have a special vocation to be present in every neighborhood of the land, to seek and work for the common good of all peoples, whether they have faith or whether they don't, whether they're Muslim or Jew or Hindu or Sikh or atheist or Buddhist or Jedi or whatever. We seek the common good of all people. We seek for people to encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ through a manifestation and a demonstration of God's kingdom among us. And if we don't, and if the Church of England retreats, and if the Church of England, one person put it to me this way in very stark terms, in 60 years' time, there will have been about another 75 or 80% decline in the overall population. Uh, population of um, Christians in this country worshipping in Church of England parishes. And what that means is that about three quarters of all of our parish churches will have to close. We have about 16,000 parish churches across the country at the moment, and around three quarters of them will probably be fated to close. What is the consequence for our society? Who's going to run the food bank, the youth group, the pensioners' tea, the refugee welcome program, the love your neighbour work? Who's going to keep doing kids' groups and holiday clubs and after-school homework clubs? Is the British Humanist Society going to step up and do it? There's no evidence that they're doing it yet. What kind of country do we want to live in? Whether or not people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, and I pray that they do, I still want the Church of England animated by the Holy Spirit and with a, a passion and a zeal for the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be doing this mission manifesting the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom of God in this land for the sake of all people, whether they are Christian or not. 75% of all of our churches are closed in the next 50, 60 years over my dead body. Let's not let it happen. I care about this. That's the big vision. What are we doing at St. John's? We're, we're training ordinance. We're sending ordinance. We're demonstrating new models of church growth and development through the Organising for Growth uh, project. We are exploring and will be exploring over the coming years church planting and ministry partnerships. How can we revitalize parishes which are struggling when there are churches down, down to just five or ten people and there's no money and the roof is leaking, the heating doesn't work and they can't run uh, a Sunday service, let alone a youth club. Let's work together, let's partner, let's find a way to revitalize those churches. That's the big vision for the Church of England. That's our part within the Church of England. 
And then we have a local vision. The local vision is what we are passionate about here in Hoxton, how we try to do everything that we do. And we've bracketed it around these four uh, mission statements. Worship God, make disciples, share Jesus, and transform Hoxton. Worship comes first. It is before all and at the end of all. When we are in the new creation, there will be no need anymore to make disciples share Jesus or transform Hoxton or anywhere else in the world, we will simply glorify God and enjoy him forever, as the Westminster Short Catechism puts it. It's the first duty of every woman, man, and child is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And it brings us life when we do. Discipleship is not natural. It has to be worked at. Make Disciples. That's part of our mission statement. Make disciples because we need to be formed or, or rather transformed. Actually, you are being made disciples all the time by our society. And our culture is great at making disciples. It makes you disciples of consumer capitalism and radical individualism. It says, buy this, acquire that, move up the ladder, get more money, more status, more significance. Express yourself, be yourself. Don't let anybody put you in a box. We're conditioned to consume with ever more fury and we're taught to create, wear and change identity according to our individual preferences. The society, the culture around us will make you its disciple. But Jesus Christ wants to make you disciples of a better way. Our job in the church is to Make ourselves and one another disciples of him who is the way, the truth, and the life. And in doing so, we will share a vision of this man, Jesus, who lived, died, rose again to reconcile us to God, to forgive our sins, to open the door to new creation and make a way for us. That's our gospel vision, that's the big vision, that's our local vision. I want to spend a few minutes on what I believe God is saying to us is a seasonal vision for us. And uh, I sum up the seasonal vision with these three words. Dry bones live. Say it back to me. Dry bones live. I cycled yesterday through Shoreditch Park and I went past one of the stone benches in the Dorothy Thirtle Memorial Garden. Some of you will know it. Dorothy Thirtle uh, was an uh, activist and social pioneer here in the first half of the 20th century. Um, she was the daughter of George Lansbury, who was Labour Party leader and Christian socialist here in the 1930s. She was married to Ernest Thurtle, who was indeed MP for Shoreditch, uh, representing this very constituency and this very area. But Dorothy Thurtle is more famous for her pioneering work around um, birth control and abortion. And she quite rightly did that from the perspective of fighting for justice for women. But it left me thinking, do we suffer in Hoxton under a legacy of spiritual contraception that prevents us from multiplying? Do we? Do we? I don't know, but I do know this. That Ezekiel was led to a valley of dry bones and saw all around him death. And we see around us death we see around us death made manifest in fear in anger in bitterness in decay now 
the dry bones of our society will sometimes pretend that they are dancing to the tune of Dem Bones, Dem Bones, or something like that. The dry bones of our culture will parade as life. But actually, it doesn't take long to realize that there is death underlying this. We see it in conflicts. We've seen it the last two weeks in Israel and Palestine. We see it in the plight of those who are persecuted and oppressed violently, emotionally. We see it in a polarized and angry society still fighting over Brexit or any other number of things. I want to suggest to you that one of our tasks in this season, in, in this seasonal vision, dry bones, if one of our first tasks is to see the reality of death and to linger there a while, not to rush on. Actually, if you pause and you think for a moment, what Ezekiel experienced is like the aftermath of a genocide, a mass grave. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. A war has taken place there. A slaughter, a massacre. It was full of bones. They'd been there a long time. goes on and says, he led me to and fro among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Linger in the reality of death. See the reality of death in our culture. That's the first thing I think we glean from this passage. Is let our eyes be opened to what's really going on. And stay there. Do not flee the shame. Not to be buried in Jewish culture is shameful. To have your bones left on a, on a field of massacre, drying, being devoured by vultures is, is shameful. Ezekiel is a priest. To be led to and fro amongst the bones is shameful. Christians can experience a sense of shame as we walk to and fro amidst the death and the slaughter and the decay of our culture. Indeed, to name it as death can sometimes cause us a sense of shame. As Christians, we follow a different path, a different truth, a different lifestyle, a different way from many in the world around us. And people will sometimes point and say, you're wrong. You're intolerant. Get over yourself. Don't be so conservative. Don't be like that. Don't judge us. You hypocrites. We will experience shame if we stay obedient to Christ. But stay. Do not flee the shame. So see the reality. Stay. Don't flee the shame. Bring the reality before God. The Lord says to Ezekiel, verse 3, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Sometimes it feels utterly hopeless. I don't know. This is the reality. You, Lord, you alone know. You alone. Ezekiel converses about the situation with God. That's why we are people of prayer. That's why daily we want to bring the world, not just our own lives, but the world around us, our neighborhood, our workplaces, our families, 
into prayer, into conversation with God. So see the reality of death. Stay, don't flee the shame. Bring the reality before God. And then be an agent of change. You see, when God revives this valley of dry bones, he doesn't do it by himself. He does it with Ezekiel. The Lord said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a rattling sound. Ezekiel allowed himself to be an agent of God's purposes, of God's plans. And he did so before he saw the evidence that anything was going to happen. He prophesied as he was commanded, and then the rattling sound began. He didn't wait until he saw a sign that God had begun it, and then thought, emboldened by this, all right, well, now I'll preach, now I'll prophesy. He did it first in obedience to God's command. We are invited to be ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation, agents in God's mission, agents of God's purpose. But then finally, wait. See the reality, stay, don't flee the shame, bring the reality before God, be an agent of change, and wait patiently for God to act in his timing. In a disaster response theory, there is a, 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 a model called relief recovery development. And it describes the three stages of how you respond to maybe an earthquake or a landslide or a flood or uh, a conflict or something other. Like uh, relief recovery development. And relief is about tending to the immediate needs, making sure people have shelter, food, water, Medicine, first aid, whatever it might be. Development is the the sort of rebuilding, the recovering, the investment, the how do we plant the fields again, how do we rebuild the houses and the schools and get the kids back to school. But there's there's this phase in between called recovery which is about making space. Once people's immediate needs are tended to, they're clothed, they're fed, they're housed, you need to now survey the scene and see what's going on, see how people are, figure out where the trauma is, where the hurt is, figure out what went wrong, Was there something that was preventable that could have been done differently? There is a waiting phase in disaster response called recovery. The temptation is to rush from relief straight to development. But in disaster response theory, you need a recovery phase. In our own age, there'll be a temptation to rush from the relief that has occurred of the mutual aid societies and the the first responders, as it were, in this COVID pandemic, straight back into development. Let's get everything up and running and open and running again. We need a recovery phase. We need to pause. And God does things in stages. What happens in Ezekiel 37? First, the tendons, flesh, and skin are drawn together, but there is no breath. And we need the breath of God. But the breath of God is promised to us at Pentecost because the spirit of God is poured out on us. So we can be confident that the breath of God is available to us, the animating power and life of God. But I believe that Ezekiel 37 counsels us to be willing to wait and to keep on praying for that breath to come. I chose deliberately to wear this jumper uh, today uh, because it is made by the clothing firm Religion. And when I first spotted this jumper, I was taken by its logo, which is up there on the screen. It's a praying skeleton, a little bit macabre, a little bit peculiar, you might think. But the first time I saw this jumper, I thought to myself, can these dry bones live? 
only when we fall on our knees and seek the life-giving breath of the Spirit of God. Then, yes, these dry bones can live. So as we recover from COVID, I want to encourage us, I think the seasonal vision for us, I think these next months, that maybe this next year, is that we need to see the reality around us. We need to stay and not hide ourselves, not flee the shame. We need to bring the reality before God. We need to be agents of change, and so many of you are already, and we need to wait and see what God will do, to wait in prayer. Don't rush. Pray for God's Spirit to breathe life. Amen. Amen. Um, I hope that this will be something you can go back to and watch and reflect on, and I would love to hear what you think. I think this is what God might be saying to us in this season, but I would love to hear what you think. So please always email me or phone me, get in touch. I'd like to hear. If you read Ezekiel 37 and you see something else, tell me. I'd love to hear, and I'd love to hear your reflections on that. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.